This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. Everybody's got set up in the bedding thicket. Oh, saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice... It's a 170. That was money. I think he's down right over there. 10 yards. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Whitetail Legacy coming at ya. Kicking it old school, back back to the beginning. All right, we had Whitetail 365 on this episode. That's a big team. Um, a lot of different states, a lot of cool videos, a lot of big things coming this year for them. Um, uh, super cool guy we got to talk to tonight. Um, glad I'm going to get to follow his page, um, you know, learn more about YT365 and, and uh, follow him this season. We can't thank Tyler enough for coming on, spend some time with us, um, talking about Whitetail 365 and about some of his hunts. We talked about uh, kind of what he thinks made him successful on that hunt, um, a lot of about what makes Whitetail 365 different. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, check him out, Facebook, Instagram, 
YouTube. They got a lot of videos coming up. Got a couple good buddies on there. Uh, James Wheeler, Zach Page, shout out to you. Um, can't wait to follow your videos this year on uh, on the page. But we're going to get right into the people that make this possible. Here we go. Who do you want to start out with? Ooh, that's a tough choice. That, all, everybody's awesome. Start out with the OG sponsor. OG. Yeah. Let's go. Ingram. All right, man. Ingram, I just seen he put out a buck tonight. On Facebook, looking legit. So he's got to be getting down to the nitty gritty now, down to the bottom of the barrel. I'm That's at, where I'm at. I'm at the bottom of the barrel too. <laughs> I turned and put it on the back burner. So we'll be releasing that buck to you soon. I'm super excited to get it, uh, homie. Hopefully we get ours about the same time. Release them at the same time. That'd be a good release for Ingham. Don't forget about him this year. European mount, uh, skull. I mean, a shoulder mount. Anything that you got that you want to do when you shoot a buck and you want to save it for the rest of your life, check out Ingram's Outdoor Obsession if you're in the local area. So I had a, I had a government official with me at work the other day, and um, he gave up deer hunting for just strictly duck and goose. And uh, I was kind of telling him what we had going on here, um, and I was telling him about Ingram, you know. And I was telling him about these beetles that Ingram's got going. I said, dude, this guy's European mounts are just off the charts. He said, well, what what are these beetles? I said, so for you guys out there that don't know what these beetles are, they're Dermasteed beetles. You got to check them out, and that's what Ingram uses. Um, last year, he had three colonies. Um, you know, to like keep ten thousand in a colony. <laughs> yeah, I would say I got asked. You know, well, how many is in a colony? I was like, dude, I I really cannot answer yeah. that. So, um. That's what Ingram uses for his Euros. Um, you guys got to check him out. Uh, That's just badass European mount. Um, his price point's just perfect. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd pay for a Euro all day if I was in the European mountain deer. Um, so I'm telling you, if you don't want a shoulder mount, you want a Euro, Euros, Euros, no question. Yeah. ECW calls. What do you want to feature on this episode? What do you want to talk about? Let's talk about the triple threat again. That's something we ain't covered in a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 triple threat is the copper, the slate, and the glass all in one. Um, he's got these on the shelves at Rivers Edge in Canton and Presley's in Peoria. Gander Outdoor in Peoria. And then uh, are they also in yeah. Gander? Okay. And then so, also on his Facebook page. Also on his Facebook and his website, uh, EmbryCustomWoodworking dot com. Um. Man, dude, I've, yeah. I've never had a copper call. I've ne- I didn't even think that that existed yeah, it, until it t- March. It took me a while to f- kind of figure out how to use it, you know, because it's a little bit different than right. a slate or a glass. But it's just another, you know, you can sound like three birds with one and call one. without ever having to dig in your turkey vest to, to get and another call. that copper sounds so raspy. Like, that would yeah. that's got to be the dominant hen yeah, it's old on, raspy on your piece, girl. you know. Yeah. Yeah, check out the triple threat call there. Uh, it's the last call they're here, guaranteed. Let's get into the VIP broadhead. So I just bought another pack of veterans, so I'm gonna be rocking six deep. That's a lot of deer. I'll be I, six six veterans. That's, I mean, I'm guaranteeing those for two years at least with the quality of build that they have. Yeah. yeah. So I think it should be no problem. For, for me to not have to buy broadheads for two or three years with six of them, and you know? I mean you're 
you're so we'll just say you're on a four year streak of shooting yeah. a one forty. I mean, you're not you're not gonna shoot two yearlings. No. I mean, you're shooting yeah, I'm quality shooting, yeah. deer. I'm shooting big bodied, big um, deer, a lot of does. Um I put I put one through two does in a turkey last year. Still right. got it. You right. know, I mean so so uh, that's something that we want to shout out to the veteran that we normally don't really say about is its durability. Um, these broadheads are built to last. They're built for you to buy a pack, and it's not a one-use broadhead. It's a multi-use broadhead. The blades are uh, so they're sharp, so sharp and strong. You know, case-hardened blades to where they can withstand going through an animal, and then you being able to pick it up, clean it up, and go right through another one. You know, there's not a lot of broadheads on the market that can have that claim, and most people think of broadheads as a one-time use. You know, so actually. When I first got to veterans, switching up from a one-time use was kind of weird to me, you know, because it's not something that I was used to doing, you know. But now it's like a normal thing for me to be like, oh yeah, this broadhead's still good to go, you know, right. and not not being scared to send it through a, a big buck or something, you know. Yep. So, um, I would say Matt has told us personally, um, you know, the people that get to go to outfitters and just shoot big buck after big buck. Um, I believe he said one guy shot six big bucks with the same broadhead yeah. without doing anything to it other than just cleaning it off. Yeah, and they he, break apart so easy to clean, too. Yeah, it, if you had something in the hinge, you yeah. know, or even down there in the spring, what is, I mean, it comes apart in 30 seconds. Yeah. Just you know, 30 Alan seconds Keaton and then it's... Pull it out and you're ready to rock and roll. So. Yeah. So it's easy to tear apart it's easy to clean and it's multi-use yeah they're they're priced you know about about the same for the same kind of quality of broadhead but what people they look at the 20 dollar broadhead they're like okay yeah i'm gonna get this but they're not thinking that okay that's good for one shot you know if i miss it's done if i hit the deer it's done you know if you miss with a a veteran pick it up dust it off right good to go if you miss if you connect you know, clean it up, wipe it off, break it apart if you got to, you know, get all the monster buck meat out of there and go for another one. So that's something to think about when you're when you are buying the veteran, you're buying a much higher quality of a broadhead than you are if you're buying the twenty dollar pack or thirty dollar pack of broadheads. Just think of it as if you're buying batteries for your truck and just yeah. get the lithium, just buy it out the gate. And you know, just buy the veteran then you out of the gate. Worry. Then you, then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You're you're gonna be able to send that veteran. You're gonna be able to hear the national anthem for one broadhead at least through three big bucks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you because it's go- it's going through the buck. It's got like it has at least six repeat national anthems built into the broadhead. Yes. Yeah. So you, you'll see it on the label. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, our uh, VIP veteran broadhead shout out. This is kind of a very a very special one. I actually got to meet this one in person. It was uh, super cool to talk to her. I'm um, hopefully I do not butcher her name. So Bitcher? Butcher. Butcher. Okay. Yeah. So it's Leah Coriel. And she was an army veteran and a proud American patriot. Um she has progressive multiple sclerosis and she picked up archery in two thousand fifteen at the age of fifty. She is the only woman in the US to compete on the national world Paralympic team. She's a public author and research as well as a motivational speaker. So she's won a couple silvers and a couple bronze in the U.S. National Target Championship paralegic out of a wheelchair. She's a U.S. veteran, and she's using archery as a release 
with her her illness or injuries. So I think that is super awesome. Yes. I'm hoping to have Leah on a podcast because her story is very compelling. She's a super crazy good archer. I shot <laughs> next to her, and I was like, I got to put these away. I'm just getting embarrassed right now. <laughs> so uh, I, I I hope to bring her on so you can she can tell her story to us. We're trying to get that worked out. She's super busy, as you can imagine. Where is she shooting at right now? Uh, South Africa. South, yeah. South so. Africa or South America. South yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, so. we, we, we tried to get it lined up, and, and it, she, it didn't quite yeah. work out, but um, she knows we're here. and Yeah, uh, she knows we want to go, so hopefully we can get her on, and she can share the story with you guys. And I just uh, think she's got a whole bunch of tips about shooting yeah, bow and, and, and she's being super, steady. She's super, like... She's like cool. She's like that cool, quiet person. But then when you start talking to her, you can tell that she's got that military in her. Where she start, she gets to know you, and then she starts going and going. Right, you're like, oh yeah, dude, she can talk for days. Yeah, I'm like, all right, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, so we can't, we uh, can't thank Leah enough. Um, Hopefully, like I said, we'll be able to get her on, share her story. But thank you for your service and everything that you did. And then props to you for finding archery and using that path to, uh, you know, to to gain and and growing with your illness and still you know progressing and and feeling like you're part of something so that's super huge yeah Leah, that's super good you know a lot of people were just you know um stopped but you know you kept going and you kept fighting and i'm sure that's just the way you've you've done everything your whole life and uh you know we can't thank you enough from the white tail legacy crew yeah all right let's get into scent lock we're gonna cover the truck oz i was been traveling for work a lot i've been spending a lot of time in my truck and while the, at work yeah no not <laughs> while at work so the truck oz has been coming in handy that thing the oz 20b yeah it's been plugged in a ton and i can tell a huge difference like i you ever like like you ever like roll through somewhere and like you just smell like you're in the city you know and you smell that like asphalt smell oh yeah well i did that today and then i hit the oz took it right out of dude i was right like because i've been running it and like it seemed like it was stuck in my truck because it was cool enough today where you didn't really have to run the air conditioner, you know, turbo mode. Right. So it was almost like stuck in there. I was like, I'm going to just put the Oz in. I put the Oz in two minutes later. I'm like, man, it's finally gone. It was almost so bad that like I was getting a headache. I was stuck in construction, going real slow. I'm like, man, you know, and you just keep smelling that hot asphalt smell. And the Oz took it right out of my truck. So I was pretty impressed with that. Well, you know... Uh, a couple months ago, I got the big dick truck. Yeah. Um, the guy who had that truck before me was a smoker, and I've been waiting on this purchase, and I I just knew it was gonna wipe it right out. But I figured that this would be a really good test to really see what it could do, and I run I ran that Oz Twenty B for two cycles, so it's a fifteen minute on, fifteen minute off. And, uh, you know, obviously the first time I plugged it in, I didn't read the instructions. I just plugged the bitch in, hit the button. I was like, okay, why is it turning off? I thought it was a half hour. Um, it's just 15 minutes on 15 minutes off because you're such, it's a such enclosed space. Um, they want to be sure it has time to air out and dissipate. So after reading the instructions, um, fired it back up, man, dude. Two cycles, the cigarette smoke is gone, and when you get in my truck now, you just, you can almost smell ozone every time you get in there. It's just that crisp. Just that clean. I don't, I, 
You know what do you do? You, what do you even call ozone? I don't know, man. It's just it, like a, it's not like winter green, but it's like a green. You yeah. know, it's green. <laughs> I, I, that's all I can say. It, it's green. Yeah, it's got a, definitely a distinct smell. Um, definitely cleans our trucks right up. So we, for, for anybody that has not smelled it, it's just green, like pine saw, but just green. Like no, <laughs> no, no. It's weird. He's nine bush lights deep trying to explain <laughs> ozone right now. <laughs> All right, guys, here we go, end of the episode, Whitetail 365. Hope you guys enjoyed. Check their page out. Uh, Can't thank Tyler enough for spending some time with us. Let's get into it. All right, everybody, we got Tyler Clay, the creator of Whitetail 365. How's it going tonight, man? Pretty good. How are you guys? Doing good, man. We appreciate you spending some time. I know uh, no time is valuable. So uh, I know you got kids and trying to run this and work full time. So uh, we appreciate uh, every minute you're going to give to us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so we'll, we won't beat around the bush too long. Uh, we'll get off, uh, go go right into it. Just kind of tell them who you are and how you got started hunting and go into that. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, as he said, uh, my name's Tyler. I'm from uh, northeast Missouri, and uh, I started hunting at a probably about as soon as I could start walking and uh, started bow hunting whenever I was in my early probably 12 12 13 somewhere around in there and I uh, haven't looked back since then as far as bow hunting is concerned Heck yeah man I sh- I think I shot my first deer when I was with a bow when I was around eight or nine so mm-hmm. when you shoot that first yeah. one man you're just like all right I, this is what I'm gonna do this is what my life's about <laughs> and then you have kids and yeah, slow down get, definitely <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a different adrenaline rush. You shoot a little, a little button buck for your shirt, first deer with a bow. It's the same as any deer or any oh, yeah. deer that you shot with a rifle before that. Yeah, I shot a basket grad eight pointer, maybe a seventy incher, just a giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, not a bad for a first one. Oh man, it was it was it was a, it was a it was a trip. So talking about talking about eight pointers, let's let's get right in and uh, go into your story of uh, the big eight, as you called it. Super creative name, man. <laughs> yeah yeah whenever i whenever i was a little bit younger wasn't too creative on the names we got a little bit better ones going on now but as the as the name speaks he was just a really big eight point and the first the first encounter i guess that we had with him was uh shed hunting one spring uh hardly ever go out shed hunting with my dad and that was the first time that i'd been out with him in quite a while and it seems like anytime i bring somebody with me we have more success than whenever i go by myself i don't know if that's a curse or whatnot but anyways he, he starts yelling and screaming and running down this hill five minutes after we dip off the side of the food plot. And it's just a massive, massive eight point. You can barely reach your hands around the base of it. And it's got a split brow. And then we had no idea this deer was even there. So I don't know if he was just giving us a slip the previous season or if he had moved in um, to eat the wintering food source or whatnot. But yeah, that was the first time that we had encountered him. And uh, definitely was one that we were looking forward to the next year. So he had uh, he had showed up on camera the following year, uh, in the same same general area. So we had pegged him as as uh, bedding up in this pine thicket right across the fence in our neighbors, and then our food plot runs down to that. And there's a narrow channel there that they slip in between whenever they're going from bedding and from food, and especially a good rut spot where they're trying to funnel everything down to. And so I had had my climber up in there, and the very first time I hung it, you know, people say first first time out's always the best spot and that was definitely true for this one he showed up and he was probably probably about 100 yards out and 
you know, whenever they're with those, you're kind of just at the mercy of where, where they're wanting to go. And, of course, you know, they turn around and start heading back into the bedding. So I give them a little bit of light rattling. And to this day, that's the only mature deer that I've actually rattled in. Uh, didn't He came straight in about 15 yards, turns broadside. Just, I mean, you couldn't really ask for much more whenever they're coming in like that. And I go to pull pull back and make the shot, and it just hits, hits a branch and goes right over his back. And your heart just sinks when that happens. Oh man, and you know it sucks that you you missed him there, but uh, you know that's that's how hunting goes. But yeah, yeah, it, it happens, and you just kind of have to learn from it. And uh, that's something I could take away from that was to do a little bit better trim job than I had in years past. But he had uh, that was the last that we had saw him for the remainder of the year, and then he didn't show up until late summer the following year, and we started getting pictures of him everywhere. And uh, he had really exploded. The first two years that we had him, he was probably, uh, I mean, he was fairly tight-racked in short time, but the mass was just out, outrageous. So as a smaller-framed deer, the mass still put him probably up into the 130s. And then he showed up this, this year and was just just crazy big. So I had made the plan that that was going to be the main deer that I was going to chase after. And if I didn't kill him, that was fine, but I would do everything I could to try to get after him. And uh, so we had him all over on the cameras, like I said, everywhere on the farm. So I'd hunted the, the previous pinch point where I'd had him at before with no luck and then uh, followed, around, followed the acorns around in uh, mid-October and still still no luck for him. So I didn't see him at all that bow season. And then opening day of rifle season comes around. And not really anything spectacular going on that morning. And then it's pretty late in the morning, getting into early afternoon, and I'm getting ready to leave get down and get some lunch and come back and see just a herd of does coming down probably 10 of them they start coming down this hill and uh, this is on the other side of the farm from where i had seen him before so i wasn't really expecting him and then sure enough he's just trailing these does and of course as as anything happens like that they stop right in the thickest stuff you can imagine and it seemed it seemed like he stood there for 30 minutes but i'm sure it was more like more like a couple but you know you know how that Whenever they come in, it just feels like forever. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But he finally he finally stepped forward. I think he knew something was going on. I was down in a pretty good valley, so I think the winds were probably swirling, and uh, the does he was pushing didn't catch anything. But since he was the probably the wisest buck in the woods, he definitely stopped and knew something was going on. And so the first shot that he gave me, I took and hit him a little bit high, so there wasn't much of a blood trail. So I was getting pretty frustrated, and uh, it actually died before he had a chance to, to fill his cavity up. And uh, so I had to do a little bit of grid searching to find him, but he had only went like 50 to 100 yards. But in that thick uh, thick brush and thorn bushes and everything, he just found a little spot to bed up in. But, yeah, he uh, he was the biggest deer that I've still killed to this day. And as only an eight-point frame, he was a half inch under 160 just as an eight-point. Yeah, that's definitely a good deer. Heck I mean, yeah, I don't care huge. where you're hunting at. That's yeah. definitely a good deer. Um, yeah, it's, if he had if he had had that mass frame and had a couple more points, he would have been pushing a heck of a lot higher than 160. But with that said, score isn't the end of the world. As a, he's absolute giant of a deer, and I was more than tickled to get to get a chance at him. I get a second chance at him, rather. Right on. Um, you might have said this, but did you did you? Uh, um, have any sheds off this deer, or are you even into any uh, big in his shed hunting? Yeah, so uh, the the first, the very first time 
that we had encountered him was when we had found his shed and we had no pictures of him prior to that, no sightings of him. And it was uh, found right where, where, right where I had missed him the previous year. But that was, that was the only shed that we had found of him. And what's kind of funny is uh, the split brow time that he had was on the side of his shed. It flip flopped two years later to the opposite side. So whenever I ended up getting him on the ground, I was like, man, I don't think this is the same deer. Got to do more research and stuff like that's actually more common than what you would think. Yeah, that's cool, man. Flip flop, flip flop sides like that. Right. My uh, yeah, the yeah. buck I'm chasing now, he grew. He just grew three on one side, two on the other. So he didn't really flip flop, but he just added added a kicker. So. It's just three, still yeah. three and two. It was two and a kicker. Now it's three, like main ones. So it's okay. crazy how they change year to year like that. You know how they're yeah not it's, the same, but it's super. awfully hard to follow them year to year. Sometimes some of them are almost identical, but just a little bit bigger. And then others, you got to really look into it to see if they're the same deer. It's pretty challenging on some of them. Yeah, yeah, I get that all the time. Homie's like, "Do you know what deer that is?" I'm like, "Man, I just, <laughs> it's hard sometimes to pinpoint it, you know." But yeah, well, that's what some people will on uh, on the page or whatnot will question, like, "How do you really know that's the same deer?" It's like. Trust me, I've looked through thousands and thousands of trail camera pictures multiple times. I'm kind of obsessive with all this stuff. Yeah, Fairly yeah. Positive it's the same one. The amount of hours we spend combing over Heck over yeah. uh, pictures just for just as a either a time passer or as a strategy builder is. Yeah, I like those ones that are way more than what we should. I like those ones that are a dead giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think was one of the key factors that you? You think it was the trail cameras was one of the key factors that that showed you where this buck was to be able to move in and make that first time sit, or just because yeah, it was that yeah, pinch area? That it was a combination of all of them. Honestly, uh, we had we'd had a lot of pictures of him in the food plot that uh, early or that late summer, early fall, and uh, we'd not, we'd found his shed in that bedding area the previous year, so we had just kind of put all that together and knew that he was at least in the area. And, you know, late October, they start cruising the does a little bit. And we just set up in that funnel, and it worked worked out perfectly other than the execution anyways. Yeah, it's crazy. You said that you rattled him off a doe, right? He came in with some does, and you rattled him off. Yeah, rattled him off of three does by himself. Wow. And he left the does alone and came straight down. That's crazy. Maybe those does weren't hot, and he was just bumping them, and he thought it was a better opportunity up the hill? or. Yeah, it was probably... I don't know, probably the 20th to the 25th of October. So it's not when, when everything is 100% up and kicking, but there was definitely some interest in in, uh, in the does and it's crazy to be able to pull them off like that, especially being able to rattle whenever you're that close to them. But the pine trees, he couldn't really see where and what was going on. Yeah, I bet you that was a key factor. He couldn't see through those pine trees, so he's busting out no. on the other side of them, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. Now, do you normally hunt from a climber, or uh, is this just a... No, I... uh, So, since then, uh, I've actually kind of gotten away from uh, anything besides ladder stands. I don't... I'd had a few bad experiences with a climber where it fell out from underneath me, and that was partially to my my fault, climbing a hickory trees and the bark slipping, but it was a good spot, and that's where I wanted to be at. But between that and having a couple... uh, Falling out of a couple stands, I had just went strictly to uh two ladder stands and then this year is gonna be the first year that i'm going back to mobile style hunting but obviously a little bit safer than what i had whenever i was younger 
Okay, because you you had said that you know you were in the climber on on this buck, and uh, you know you hit the branch. Um, I had um, just moved a stand, um, a hang on last. Well, it would have been the middle of October. Um, I moved a stand um, just a little closer to the field edge last year because I felt like I was too deep, and I was missing a lot of the deer movement. And um, when I went in there, you know, the we had a the wife's work party that night, but it was a, a rain front coming in. So I feel like I needed to go in there to be, you know, the least scent left as possible. And I uh, went in there and moved that stand. However, I didn't get to trim any shooting lanes. And then, you know, lo and behold, here comes, uh, you know, a second buck in the same day shooter. And um, I smoke a down tree limb. And, um, you know, I was just wondering if, if that climber, um, if you had had a hang on there, you would have been up in that tree already and seen that you might've needed to trim a branch or, you know, if, if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was partially, I had been bouncing around a whole lot that year, uh, chasing the, uh, acorns during what people refer to as the, uh, the October lull, which I don't really believe in a whole lot. I think it's just there. You have to find where they're at. And that's, I've always had fairly good success in the middle of October, as long as you can find, of course, if you're not in the Midwest, maybe a little bit harder to find a food source. But for us, as long as you can find the acorns at that time of the year, typically on the farms that I hunt, you can still find the bucks whenever they're not moving, supposedly. But yeah, I'd been, I'd been bouncing around a lot. So I think if, if, if I had been in a permanent set, I would have had it trimmed out a little bit more, but that was something I went in with just a handsaw and cut down the bare necessities to get the tree or to get the stand up the tree and then nothing else out in front of me. So I think, yeah, like you said, if, if I'd had a little bit more time to plan that, then it might've worked out a little bit differently. Right. Had you, had you scouted this, um, area before, um, hunting it, uh, you know, and saying, Oh yeah, this looks like the tree that I would put a climber in when the time is right. Yeah. So I've got uh, a list of all the places that I'd like to go to. And that was one of the, places that i had always wanted to go to before but i'd never really put much thought into it because it's on the far side of the farm so it's quite a quite a walk across and uh, i'd primarily hunted on the other side just for the uh, scent control measures as far as walking through everything to get there in early october mid-october when it's still fairly warm and um, yeah i just i just dropped the dropped the uh, climber off a little bit earlier in the week on the edge of the food plot and then just pulled it in and and went up so yeah it just it was something that i had scouted but not i mean not as much as i probably would have now looking back on things right when uh so you were hunting on the back side of that food plot you said yeah on the very so it's it's uh it's like a u-shaped food plot there's a finger that runs up through the middle of it and then i was on the uh the far left side and it it's a fairly gradual hill and i was just probably 20 yards in and then maybe another 50 yards to my left would have been all the bedding up on top of the ridge. And yeah. it just funnels all right down to the bottom of that, and there's a little creek bottom there. Nice. Sounds and like a came good came right setup. down to it. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty good spot. It's kind of difficult. They change their patterns there from year to year, depending on the flood wash and whatnot, but they're always in that it seems like a 100, 200-yard area. You just have to pinpoint where they're at exactly. So, uh, are you, do you still live in Missouri now and are able to hunt there or is that something did you move out and you, uh, you know, you don't have no land there anymore or. Uh, we still have, we still have the farm, but I'm, I've been in, uh, Southwest Oklahoma 
for the last four years now, and it's something where I just uh, I travel up there as as the few days that I get off during the summer to prepare everything and uh, whatever I can't uh, lays on the shoulder of, of my dad, which is a lot to ask, but he usually comes through and gets all of it done, and then I just come back typically the last week of October through rifle season in November, which is typically the the early teens part of the month. And then that's that's usually the bulk of my days off. I say for that. Yeah, I I uh, I go down to the family farm and rifle hunt every year. Uh, last year, actually, or two years ago, I actually went down there for September fifteenth bow hunting, um, but ha- had no success. Just super warm, but I always seem to have really good success. And and it's southern Missouri, so I'm not sure exactly sure where you're located in the state, but you know a one thirty. <laughs> I think you said northwest. You said north. You said northwest. <laughs> No, northeast, right northeast, in the okay. uh, uh, Macon, Macon County, Adair County area. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I just drove through Macon today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, I was just, right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm down there, way south in Polk County, and uh, okay, a one thirty, one forty down there is a giant. <laughs> you know, there's just no ag, yeah. no crops. So I always have a really good time. Uh, rifle season is a lot. I I don't want it to come to Illinois, but I will drive to Missouri and shoot a rifle for deer. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, this different way to hunt them, and uh, go ahead, homie. What you got? Well, uh, you being down there in Oklahoma, um, you do you do you have a place to hunt down there in Oklahoma? Yeah, so I've got uh, there's there's quite a bit of public around us. It's not very big. It's pretty overpressured, and then I'm lucky enough that I have a fairly decent sized private chunk of land to hunt on. But it's pretty strictly managed, and so I'm pretty much doe only on that farm, which is fine. But I get a turkey hunt it. It's outstanding for turkeys, but the uh, the private land down here is not bad, or the public land, sorry, is, is not bad down here as long as you get a long ways away from the road. Yeah, I've, I've like, Oklahoma was never, like, on my radar for big deer, but the more I'm on social media, the more Dude. I'm noticing that some giants are coming out of Oklahoma yeah, last, last year, yeah, I'd have put it number two. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely not our area of Oklahoma. We're in the, uh, I'm about 15 minutes from Texas either if I go west or if I go south. So I'm I'm way down here, and uh, it's pretty much the desert. But with that said, there's still still nice deer if you know where to look, if you can get around the river bottoms and whatnot where there's still some vegetation. But there's not many trees. So if you're lucky to get, get 8, 10 feet up in a tree and it's maybe as big around as your thigh, then you're doing pretty good. Yeah, we got a guy that hunts <laughs> down there that we're friends with, and he does a lot of blind hunting, and he's like, dude, there's just no trees. I'm like, man, I know. It's just crazy to think about hunting, you know, deer with no timber and just like brush and and sand. <laughs> it's just insane to me. Yeah. But they they yeah, get it done down there. Different. So, yeah. Um, how's your turkey hunt down there? I don't. I know Cody's not too big into turkey, hunt, but I'm big into it. I love getting after a big old tom. Um, how's the turkey hunting down there? It's it's great down here. That's what I've uh, since I moved down here. I've killed five easterns and uh so i have had the main goal going into the last two years to get one of them with a bow and it, it didn't didn't come together last year and then this spring i had or this winter i had shoulder surgery so i'm just now getting back into the swing of things with the bow so i just went out with a shotgun this spring but it's it's uh like you said with no trees as long as you can pinpoint their roosting locations and you can hunt nearby it's not i wouldn't say easy but it's not as difficult as 
what it had typically been for me in northeast Missouri where you have no idea where they're going to be at. Yeah, there's not very many good roosting trees down there. I was going to say, you just said that. I was like, man, that sounds so easy. Yeah, Yeah, if you can find them and it's the right time of the year and they're aggressive, they'll they'll come come right in. And if they don't, it's flat enough. You can see them from a mile away and and put the stalk on them if you can find any vegetation to hide in. (laughs) Yeah, you have to get the the sand – the sand suit out <laughs> crawl yeah. on through it all right one more question then we'll get back to some deer um what is the pig situation down there by you say it one more time the what, what are the hogs looking like down there oh yeah they're they're everywhere that's what the uh the first year that i hunted down here i was probably about a mile and a half maybe a little bit a uh, little bit farther off the road and I, it was probably an hour after dark because I was pinned down with some deer, so I sat in the stand a little longer than I usually would have. I'm about halfway back, and I got in between a, a couple of them grunting and snorting at each other, and that was about enough enough for me on that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But, yeah, I've, I killed uh, killed two of them last year with a bow, and uh, they're they're awful fun to shoot at. They they run forever. Yeah, just like a big buck, that's probably. That's yeah. what we've heard. That yeah. They like to yeah. run. Luckily, I don't have to worry about them damaging anything that I own and, and uh, eating any of the food plots because I'm not able to do any of that down here. I know one of the other guys on the team just, just uh, bought a piece of property up about 30 minutes north of where I'm at right now, and he has he's just now started having work in on to his place. So we'll see how that goes this fall if they tear up his food plot and, and his food situation. But get a they hog tear log. up a lot of stuff down here. Yeah, yeah. Get, get a hog log, wipe them out. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say that's something that Cody and I want to do, get in on some hogs. Um, I mean, it just sounds like a bunch of fun that we're missing out on. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it's, there's, it's, the sad part about it is, is the, at least in the area that I'm at, it seems like people have made more of an enterprise of it yeah. instead of eradicating the nuisance animal. So it seems like you can't really get permission to just come on somebody's land without paying them for it or an outfitter. Yeah. yeah, so I feel that's like crazy, that kind of man. They want them the gone. Problem. Yeah, yeah. luckily the, the people that I hunt on or, and know just want them gone. Come kill as many of them as you can. I've had a fairly fairly lucky situation, but I know that's not not how it is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I get, I, I notice that a lot too. I see a lot of posts about people putting, you know, come shoot some hogs for X amount of money. I'm like, man, I thought these were like. You just knock on someone's door and walk. <laughs> right. Say, "Hey, man, I want to go shoot some hogs," and they just let you on. But I guess it's not like that. So. Yeah, yeah, we ran across a couple people that were desperate enough that they just said, "Come shoot them, deal with them, take them off my land." So, I've been fairly fortunate coming down here, and I know it doesn't always happen for everybody. I I need to find that guy's door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So last last season, did you end up taking a buck down there in Oklahoma on public or? No, that's what I had had uh, a buck that we call a hook that we had been chasing since 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. He had um, there's not much not much vegetation as we had said. So basically, once they get to mature age, they stay about the same. He'd been probably 135 inch uh, mainframe eight with some kickers and long brow tines, which for down here on public land, I'd have been tickled to shoot that over uh, about the same excitement level is anything that I killed in Missouri and I'd had him I guess as patterned as you can for a public land deer he was mobile late November early December if you could catch him right at daylight and uh, I 
I hadn't had him on camera for about a week, and I kind of gave up on the spot and started chasing a, a unicorn buck. And he didn't grow anything on one side and just grew one straight massive point. So <laughs> nice. I figured he would look pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I figured he would look pretty cool on the wall and started chasing after him and pretty, got pretty close to him on a couple spot and stocks, but never never ended up getting any closer than 50. And uh, I think it was the day that I started chasing after that buck, uh, Hook started showing up again over at the spot where he had in the last two years. So if uh, ball plays out this, this year and he's still alive, December, any morning I can in early mid-December I'm going to be sitting in that stand whether I've got him on camera or not because if he's alive he'll show up so when when's the rut down there in Oklahoma I've actually never hunted the rut down here it, it's fairly late but I'm always there as far as what I'm concerned is the rut is uh is late October early November into mid-November and that entire time frame I'm in Missouri typically oh, I see. okay so it's about so the same. if I'm still around this year and if I'm still around this year, which I may be actually moving during the rut this year, that's horrible timing, but I may be moving up north. So uh, if I'm still around, though, my plan this year is to come back in the middle of October and hunt, and then from that point on, I'll be down here this year. Well, there's a lot of worse things to be going on than <laughs> moving during the rut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't really have much control over it, but it's looking like that's the way it's going to be. Are you moving for work or – yeah, yeah, I'll be moving for work. Uh, hopefully, we'll find out probably within the next four to five weeks if the uh, application went through and trying to go to the uh, Kansas City, Missouri area or uh, East St. Louis area. And both those places pretty good for, or at least a little bit step up from where I'm at now. Oh, yeah, those are great deer hunting spots. A lot of ag, big deer. Yeah. yeah great spots. Yeah. So I would say what we'll, we'll have to come crash at your place when Cody and I come over doing an over the counter <laughs> hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it works out. Yeah. So uh, we've been we've been talking. You've been hitting it a little bit. Let's let's get into three sixty five. I really want to dig into this group. Uh, you guys have a huge following, and I uh, I know you got quite a few. How many team members do you have actually? Uh, Seventeen right now. And the, the way we found you is we had James Wheeler on. Uh, he's kind of a, a neighbor to us. He lives about 20 miles away, and uh, he told me about you and him and Zach Page. Um, Zach actually just came out to our property and did some mowing for us. I got to go trim some shooting lanes with him now, but he did some mowing. <laughs> yeah, he, you do. <laughs> he did some mowing for us, yeah. and uh, they they told told me about you, so we, we kind of started following what you do, and we actually kind of struck up a friendship. So... Uh, just go ahead and dig into Whitetail 365, uh, what it's about, um, why you created it, and uh, we'll, we'll plug you from there. Okay, yeah. So uh, we're all, as the name states, just completely ate up with everything Whitetail and uh, Whitetail management related as far as growing, chasing mature, uh, mature bucks. And it's just, it's a year-round endeavor. It seems like no matter what we're doing, over the course of the year, we're in the woods doing something positive for either a hunting situation or food plots or timber stand or whatever whatever it may be. It seems like you can always find us doing something for our uh, advantages in the fall. Yeah, I know that. And then, uh, yeah, we, oh, I'm sorry. I know that you guys put up a lot of pictures of food plots and stuff like that. You guys are doing a lot of a lot of management work that I like to follow because that's something that me and homie are going to be doing next year. I've had some experience with it, but getting to see, you know, a lot of people doing it with some videos, it's nice. 
because they're doing it kind of the way that I can do it too. They're not having a big machine come in and do it, you know, where it's relatable to where like I, something I could do. Yeah. That's one thing we're really trying to really trying to stick with is uh, do it ourselves. We have a, a good group of guys that own uh, either own their own property or have permission. And then we have the other end of the spectrum guys that just almost strictly hunt public land. So it, it, I feel like we can really relate more to the average bow hunter as far as what we're trying to do. And then they can duplicate what we're doing, whether it's on public or whether it's on private, as far as anything that we're doing. We don't, we don't, none of us are rich enough to own thousands of acres. So whatever we're managing is fairly small properties. If we're even lucky enough to be owning our own properties. Yeah, I mean, we we definitely uh, found that out when we talked with James, and James is is the definition of whitetail three sixty five. Uh, we scheduled him up for an episode, and I believe he didn't show up here to the studio until like eleven o'clock at night because he was putting in a food plot. Him yeah. and Zach, <laughs> yeah. they were out. Yeah. And then you know we yeah, we and- we literally bullshitted in the studio for an hour that we should have been recording. So from midnight to one a.m. we recorded, and then we got done recording, and then we just still kept talking. From big one a.m. to three a.m. Still <laughs> three yeah. three three thirty in the morning in the driveway, and at like three fifteen, I was like, "Dude, I gotta go home. <laughs> I got a birthday party tomorrow." <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. We- you guys are definitely targeting the right people, you know, for for your name and what you guys are trying to get out. Yeah. That's what we just do what we can with the time that we have. I know for myself having uh, two kids, I'll be having a third this fall. That's what I've got a very limited time as far as uh, running everything that we do and doing the video editing. So I typically just wait till pretty late in the evening when everyone else is asleep. And then I stay up till till midnight, two, three in the morning doing the editing. And then I got to be at work the next morning so it's just whatever it takes to get it done and uh i feel like that's that's definitely resonated throughout the whole team um do, do you do all the editing for uh 365 yes yes uh I, I i would not say that i'm an expert by any means but i've grown a lot in the last last couple of years i've first started off the first video that you'll find i believe on our page if you scroll far enough back it's not even in uh, a full screen format. I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I just threw some stuff together. Yeah, but we're well, all we're not. We haven't had any formal training on anything that we're doing as far as filming or editing. And then the majority of us are actually self filming, so it's not quite as polished and put together as you may see in some of the other places. But it's actually real, and what's going on during the hunt is what's portrayed in the videos. Yeah, and you know from. Just what Cody and I like to see, you know, as long as you get a good story and I mean, you're, you have decent quality. We, we totally understand, um, you know, self-filming. We understand it's very hard and very challenging. We found that out last year. Um, as long, as long as you can get that story and just get, you know, a couple really good shots or segments or, you know, uh, some good B-roll, um, Man, dude, we we totally understand, and that's that's the shit we like. You know, we don't like somebody just rolling up to a piece and be like, "Okay, here we go." Somebody put this stand up. Somebody's been running the truck hands for two months. There's this buck here, and then we're gonna go shoot it. You know, we we like you yeah. know somebody. We like a little shake in the camera. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's one thing. I, pretty much the only the only thing that I watch on TV is sports. 
and hunting. So yep. I've seen a whole lot of shows and seen a whole lot of different filming styles and editing styles and whatnot. And it seems like, um, of course, I say most, I'm going to be speaking for everything that I've seen. But a lot of the shows, it seems like what you had said, where it's more, they're not actually the ones doing the work. It's more of an entertainment value show than an educational show or a realistic show. They're just coming into the big uh, farms wherever in the Midwest and killing a deer after deer. So what, what we're trying to do is we'll do a little bit of traveling here and there. Like uh, James had come over to my uncle's farm last year and uh, he uh, for an outfitter, but he had already tagged out in Illinois. That he was looking to get on some more deer. That wasn't the bulk of his season that he was trying to produce. Mm-hmm. So we're trying we're trying to actually show the process of building our own deer instead of just flying in and shooting it. Yeah, that's way more relatable than just walking in, throwing up a blind, and yeah. shooting a deer. It just it yeah, just, because you have James putting in you yeah. know his whole work and backstory. I mean, he already done come on here and told that. Yeah. So you know he put in a ton yeah. of work to buck out here in Illinois. Yeah. So for him to try to go oh, somewhere yeah. else, was, I mean, it was pretty early whenever he was tagged out as well. So yeah. So that if just he wanted to hunt the rut. He had to go somewhere else. Yeah, that just explains his drive for yeah. deer. You know. Yeah, to go somewhere else yeah. and do it. So. Kind of, I I'm I'm intrigued by the a lot of members on there, that because it gives you a lot of aspect. If you could, I mean, you don't have to name them. Just just kind of give uh, maybe where they're hunting, if they're hunting public, and what's like their strategy, and then when people can watch their film, um, they can relate to them. Yeah. So what we've done is we try to build uh like a a mini team in uh, the Midwest states that we have uh, friends and. Uh, contacts and we've got about four or five guys in oklahoma and a couple of them hunt together on one farm and then a couple of us uh met through work and both hunt public and then he's got a small piece now and then we've got a handful of guys in missouri and then uh what one thing that uh it sets us apart a little bit as far as something you won't see everywhere is uh jeremy and john in st louis actually hunt in city limits of st louis that's cool. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to come back to that. Hard to imagine, <laughs> but yeah, he he killed two pretty nice, or Jeremy killed two pretty nice deer last year on suburban hunts, and you can see in the videos, you can see houses and highways in the background, and it's it's pretty wild, but it's definitely a strategy that works for him. And we've got, uh, like you had said, James and Zach in Illinois, and then uh, Brandon a little bit farther south from them, and then we've got Kyle out in uh, New York. He actually just moved up back home to New York from Virginia. A lot of the videos that he had the last couple of years were in Virginia. Is that, is that all of them? Man, that's, uh, well, so many. Got, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, one guy in Ohio. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's a but lot. That's got, a lot to keep up with, man. You're a busy guy producing yeah, we, film. I try to, yeah. Try to keep it to where I know if you see a lot of these bigger shows, they've got 50, 60 guys on their reel at the end of the show. And then they just play the best of it. We try to keep it, Big enough that we can consistently put out content, whether the seasons we're in, but small enough to where it's still personal, to where everybody still feels like they have a significant role in what's going on, and they're not just being used for occasional footage. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I think I think like your intro to your videos and stuff, it, it just it just flows good. You guys got a good thing going on. I want to get back to the suburban hunters though. That that intrigues me. Do you, do you get? I mean, I'm sure you got some intel on them. Um, is that like a draw down there in St. Louis or? No, it's it's just a regular season. So they just, 
whenever I'm not incredibly knowledgeable, so I may be speaking incorrect on some of the stuff. But as far as I know, it's just whenever the archery season opens, it's open just as as the rest of the state for them. And then they can't they can't obviously like for uh, for turkeys and whatnot. They're chasing them public or on the the uh, suburban sites. They can't use shotguns like everyone else does, so they go after them with crossbows. So it's it's definitely a, a different kick to the to the part of the show whenever they come on that you're not going to see in a whole lot of places. So um, with the suburban aspect, it's not like a just a totally different deal, like just hunting in town. It's just, it's, they just yeah, have well, more of the rules for like you know if if you were to have fifty acres outside of town. I I can't really speak to the rules because I haven't. I haven't been hunting with them yet. Okay. Hopefully we'll fix that before too long. <laughs> but as far as I know, there isn't any crazy rules other than just the, the obvious as far as how far you have to be from a, a building or establishment when you're shooting and uh, gaining access from landowners and stuff like that. So they still have to go through all the same stuff like that. Right on. Uh, it's just smaller quarters, not big chunks of property, and it's behind suburban areas or behind shopping malls or behind wherever and they're chasing after pretty big deer every year. Nice. Um, I would say, when, so I first moved in my house eight years ago, and then uh, when I was literally moving in, like, my bedroom set, uh, it was 11.30 at night. I had three deer in my side yard. I was like, what in the hell is going on, you know? And um, and then two year, a year and a half later, um, it, uh, we had this snow-covered, and uh, a doe and a, and a yearling were in my backyard, like literally in my fenced in backyard. And I was like, oh, dude, I like I got a tag, I, <laughs> you know, it's statewide. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we I got to looking at the at the regulations and stuff. And within our city limits, you have to be outside of 100 yards of a building or a dwelling is what it says. Um, you have to be yeah. outside 100 yards of a dwelling. So like, oh, man, dude, you know. So I'm ranging like the neighbor's house, you know, seeing how <laughs> far it is. But, uh, yeah, man, dude, uh, I'm really, really intrigued. Um, just up here in the Quant Cities, um, I know they do uh, inner city hunts. And uh, I, I have a – my brother's best friend lives up there, and he says – Every every other year, you can draw a buck tag, and he says you have no problem shooting a 170 in town. He said these guys are just yeah. running all over the city. I'm just like, wow. dude, what are you doing? So one year you have to shoot a doe, and then the next year you can get a buck tag with a doe tag, and it, you can just chase a 170 all over. I'm like, all right. Once once you get past the awkwardness of realizing that somebody is bow hunting for uh, – for a trophy buck or a mature buck within city limits of a giant city like that, it actually makes a lot of sense that they have as much success as they do because there's just, there's not as much competition. So your deer can get a little bit older in those areas and they can stay where everybody hunts in the square, in the, uh, a small plot outside of the city where it's open rules for rifle and everything. Right. So it makes sense that, that the deer are getting more mature, but it definitely doesn't make them easier to shoot. I know a lot of people will, uh, say it's almost like a high fence hunt or a canned hunt because they don't have anywhere to go but they're they're more i would say they're probably more used to human uh human interference but they're definitely not going to just walk up to you and let them shoot let them shoot you or let you shoot them so 
it makes <laughs> it makes sense that they're able to grow to that to that age, but they're definitely still a challenge to shoot a mature deer just like it is anywhere else. Oh yeah, I, it's definitely a challenge to shoot anything mature, you know. Um, yeah. I just think it'd be super cool. It'd be like, all right, it's Wednesday morning. Trash trucks coming at nine. <laughs> at nine fifteen, this one eighty's coming out. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> that would be um, crazy. Doesn't yeah. doesn't ever happen like that, but it'd be cool to think like that. Yeah, be like, all right, the neighbor comes out here, jumps in the pool. That spooks <laughs> this buck over here. Trash truck scares him to here. He's gonna be here ten thirty five, guaranteed. <laughs> Just gotta wait him out. Yeah. yeah, you got you got a whole lot of different variables. Oh yeah, you got people, kids out playing in the woods. And, the, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So. Um, so we've uh, we've covered your uh, show Whitetail three sixty five. Um. I want to get into, you know, maybe some tips for some guys that are um, just getting getting into editing their own film. Um, you know, what what is something that you can tell them and uh, to edit their own film and maybe, uh, you know, the program that you use? Yeah, so uh, what I started off using, I, I was on my laptop, uh, just a Windows laptop when I first started out, and I was using uh, Windows Movie Maker, and it was a little bit more challenging there wasn't as many options and whatnot on there and i'm i'm not using a professional system now so i've got a, a mac desktop and i'm using imovie it's just like a 30 20 30 dollar uh, application that you just download from the store and but it gives you a lot more options for whenever you're starting out and uh, the best thing that i've found is that it has a larger sound bar to where you can actually see the peaks and valleys of the sound and then you can edit based off of that instead of just going off of oh, i think I think I stopped talking at this point, or I think the shot was at this point. You can actually see the peak of whenever, whatever is going on, and it makes it a little bit easier and a little less time-consuming to edit through it. But it's not—it's not, it's not going to win you any win you any awards as far as editing quality. But it's—you can still produce a pretty good video on it. We're uh, actually thinking about upgrading to its its, uh, I guess, parent version, uh, Adobe or. Final Cut Pro, there we go. That's the one we're looking to upgrade to, hopefully this season. But if not, iMovie is still working out pretty good for us. Um, in in the iMovie, um, I've kind of messed around a little bit with that iMovie. Um, can you have like a, a a video running in separate audio, or can you is is the audio that's attached to that video just attached to it, and you can't do anything with it? So in uh, in the in iMovie, it's actually attached whenever you first load it in there, but then you can right. detach it. Okay. And then you can so say you're filming with your regular camera, uh, and you're also filming with a GoPro. The GoPro typically doesn't have as good sound. Right. But say you want to still you still want to use the footage from the GoPro, but you can actually uh, splice the video the sound from the other video as long as it's, they're both being recorded at the same time. You can take the sound off of the other video and then put it over the GoPro footage and you'll have the the better quality sound with the angle that you're looking for. So you can you can do that. Okay. Um how about if you're um in the field and you got, you know, we'll just say B roll, uh does coming in and you're doing you're um, using the audio from an interview in the studio. Um can you do something like that? Okay, repeat that one more time. I couldn't really so, hear you too clearly. So, 
say you say we're doing an episode and uh you're just using a b-roll of a of a doe coming in the field and then you know eventually a buck's gonna come out um and then say you're using the audio from a interview that you're doing in the studio um can you throw that audio from the studio interview over on the audio of the footage from the doe coming out yeah yeah you could do that for sure and that's okay what we, we've tried to do that a lot more because if you say say like for instance i know you said for studio but say for instance you get one of us long-winded guys talking at the beginning of a hunt and we're explaining everything that's happened for the past past five days and we think it's going to be a great hunt right i think we're only talking for 30 40 seconds but then we get back to download to downloading it and then upload it for editing and we talk for five and a half minutes <laughs> and no one really wants to see my face talking for five and a half minutes so what you can do is you can throw the video like you said of what's going on at the beginning of your hunt or say you filmed yourself uh, setting up or hauling your stand up or whatnot, you can throw that video over it and then uh, have the audio of you talking and have something else more interesting going on so that you aren't going to be losing uh, losing your audience to just okay. do talking at tree stand for five minutes. Cool. I'm going to say that's one thing that, I mean, we just started messing with iMovie here, and I'm not sure if we're going to use it or if we're going to go Adobe or, or whatnot, but um, that was just one question we had with, with the iMovie. Yeah, you can, uh, so you just drag it and drag it in, and then you drag the, it'll be even on the file, and then there'll be a little line between them. You just pull it down below the file that you want to keep the video of, and the file that you want to keep the audio of, you just drag it down below, and it changes it to an audio file. Okay. So, uh. It's fairly easy. I mean, it's a fairly easy program to learn. I mean, it'll take you a little while to get to get up and going with it, but once you get rolling with it, it's, it's a pretty easy program to use. So we talked about the guys on Whitetail 365. So, um, what is what's some something that the listeners can look forward to uh, coming out? And then what what's your plans for this season with with the guys on Whitetail 365? So for uh, for last last year was our first season actually videoing with the majority of the team that we have now. The first season that we I guess not first actual hunting season, not first. Uh, episode season was just three of us at the beginning of the season and then by the end of the season we had five or six of us and then throughout the next uh the next winter and fall or winter and summer we built up the team what we have now plus or minus a few guys so this will be our second year filming as a complete team and everyone everyone primarily last year was the first year filming so we were really learning as we were going on everything you should be able to see a lot more of the mistakes that we made last year, whether it be double tapping the record button and missing the kill shot or, or whatnot, you'll be seeing a little bit more, more quality footage coming out from us this year. Okay. That's cool that it's, that it's just your first season last year. You guys put out some really good hunts, some good quality, good content for yeah, people we, to watch. Um, I watch a ton of videos, so I've watched quite a few of them. Um, I enjoy them. I learn something from everyone pretty much you know um so i know that's what you're trying to do is put a put content out there for people yeah. to, to listen to or watch yeah and then uh, as, as another thing is more more videos from the same guys be able to build more of a uh, i guess watching relationship with the people get to know them a little bit more and uh, get to see a little bit more some faces that you didn't get to see last year whether it was some of us didn't harvest a deer at all or didn't harvest it on camera. You get to see a little bit more of the team in this year. 
Um, are are you guys just throwing a bunch of doe kills into one episode, or are you uh, just spreading them out? You know, treating them kind of as homie loves to see a bunch of doe get killed. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's thing. so I, ideally, if we get a whole bunch of doe kills, throw them all into one. But we were trying. We started off last year trying to go semi live, so we were going with whatever was killed the week prior uh-huh. or the month prior. We would try to upload that while it was still kind of fresh in what was going on. But with a with a larger team this year, and with me possibly be moving uh, during the bulk of the season, we'll probably be pushing everything off until the latter half of the season, maybe into uh, to late winter, early spring, as far away as when we release things. So we may be releasing things more as like what you had said, all does in one spot. I know last year we tried to do all uh, all youth hunts in one spot, or with those of us with kids, the ones that. Uh, what if the kids were helping with the tracking and whatnot? We tried to throw that all into one spot as well. The way it's not broken up and it's more of a more of a story you can follow throughout the whole thing. You got some? <laughs> Homie, look like <laughs> well, you wanted to I, say I, something. I, I mean, it's not serious. I was it's oh. just a uh, a uh, funny, but. Um. So Tyler, what are you doing with all the outtakes or the the footage that didn't make the cut? Uh, I have a giant, giant storage file full of everything that we didn't use, and then uh, I just pull from it, from uh, whatever I didn't use on previous projects. Whether if it didn't get into the, uh, if it didn't get into the episodes, or if it didn't get into our intro. If we've got a project that I'm working on for something like we've got a another show that we're trying to put forward, kind of, uh, kind of like a podcast, but with the video format as well. Yeah. So. Little little takes like that, little we'll throw in stuff. I know last year, the, and of course, you see all kinds of cool stuff when you're hunting that might not, you may not kill something on that hunt. That's what, just for one instance, last year I had a really cool uh, doe crossing a river in front of me with their two uh, yearlings, and the temperature difference between the water and the air was enough to where it was incredibly foggy coming off of the water. So it's something that had never got thrown into an episode, but I'm sure I'll post it up on the, on the page at some point for everyone to see. Yeah, that's that's cool. What's what's the name going to be of the the audio video interview thing? Uh, we're looking at right now uh, going with a roundtable and oh, then doing cool. uh, a two to three person uh, sit down and just talk about either previous hunts or strategies and whatnot that we're doing. Just stuff that doesn't make it into the regular episodes that we feel still worth sharing, or just talking deer like we are now. People people like us will watch it. Yeah, yeah, I would say sure. we're we're pretty good buddies with a guy who loves to do like uh, pre hunt and you know midday hunt interviews, and <laughs> he forgets to turn the microphone on, and then um, he takes his girlfriend hunting, and he makes her like literally makes her do a pre hunt interview and a midday interview, and he forgets to turn the microphone on. <laughs> <laughs> so Homie they have to re it. they have to redo it, <laughs> and then they just oh, yeah. put like this whole blooper reel together uh, of just interviews left and right. And she's like, "Well, I have to do this stupid interview again because Alex didn't turn the damn microphone on." And man, he sh- <laughs> he shared that to us, and I just loved it. Yeah, we're we're saving for our blooper <laughs> reel right now. I got one video of Homie that looked like he'd been at deer camp drinking heavily. <laughs> For about seven <laughs> days straight, and he's trying to do an interview. Epic, epic. 
It's like, yeah, yeah. So that's a good well, thing. At least, at least your buddy, at least your buddy was getting his uh, lady friend to do some talking on the camera. Anytime I bring my wife, she won't talk on the interview and won't do a post kill or whatnot. So it makes it a little bit more difficult if uh, if she does end up killing something to, to put something <laughs> right. together. So I think after trial and error, she finally got her first turkey with a bow. Um, congrats to Katie. And, uh, you know, I took my wife out um, turkey hunting this spring. And uh, basically all that happened was we put the camera on a tripod and that's where it sat the whole time. <laughs> there, was, there was no recording. We didn't see no birds, no goblin, no nothing. And uh, that was all that happened. So I, I, I feel your pain there. Yeah, that happens. So uh, where can people find Whitetail 365, kind of some of your different social medias? Do you guys have a website? Uh, we have one reserved. We have we don't have a built-up quite yet. I see. But as far as on social media, we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. You can find us at Facebook at uh, Whitetail 365, all one word. And then on Instagram, whitetail.365. And then on YouTube, you should be able to just search whitetail365 and find us there. Yeah, I, your logo is sweet, man. That's a super cool mm-hmm. cool logo. Props to you for drawing that up, man. That was, that was a good idea. So, yeah, check yeah, your stuff so out. Oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, listeners, check, the, check their stuff out. It's relatable. It's a lot of different guys in different states hunting in different ways all at the same time and it's real guys yeah real guys some that we know that are legit hardcore big buck killing fools um showing you how they get it done not being who they're not you know not trying to put on a front like they know a lot of stuff just straight up trying to show you how they hunt how they do stuff to maybe make you a better hunter maybe pick up one technique that they use that you might have not you know thought about so Check them out, Facebook, Instagram. We follow all their stuff. Um, we'll make sure and share some of your uh, videos so people can go directly from our page to your page and uh, and get that connection there. So uh, we can't we can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Um, I know we we kind of cut it short. I know you got some stuff going on at your house there. You're a busy man with running a crew and working and family life. So we understand that. We just appreciate the time that you did spend with us and. Uh, you got anything else you want to tell the listeners? Uh, no, I think I think we covered majority of everything. I appreciate you guys uh, letting me on. Yeah. All right, listeners, we love you. Keep hitting that play button. Hit him with the outro. Hit him. Whitetail Legacy out. Oh, shit, he got an outro. Here we go. <laughs>